The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and coming up on the podcast this week, I'll be answering your gardening questions on all things from strawberries, wigilias, and actually, talking of those strawberries, the woodlice actually were eating in their under. But listen out for that as well. Beetroots that had holes in their leaves. And quince. Well, were they quince? No, they were actually shenominies, but people always call them quince because they produce apples. So, don't forget, also, top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden. And, of course, plant of the week. But last but not least, we also feature a little bit of Beth Chateau, who sadly passed away. And we need to think positively about her and think what she added to the gardening world. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Let's start with Plant of the Week. And uh, this week, it's Hemerocallis, or Daylily. The flowers are like a bit of a lily. It's a perennial. The name, needless to say, why is it called Daylily? Because the flowers are replaced roughly every 24 hours. One drops, the other one produced during the night, and then is out. It's a popular plant for borders and flowers right through for about five weeks at this time of the year which isn't a bad show, really. They originated from Asia, you know, China, Korea, Japan, and there's now, honestly, thousands of cultivars, and a 100 or so are actually even fragrant. The early flowers bloom again as long as the seed heads are removed. So, in other words, remove those seed heads and you'll get a second flush later on in the summer. The colours, the colours are yellow, orange, pinky colours and then through to browns. They really are a fantastic plant. They're long-lasting plant. They're vigorous, they're tough and they're tolerant of soil. Any soil. Light, heavy, all sorts of things. In fact, I was working round some in a garden just yesterday. Right, the yellow hemerocallis, called hemerocallis citrina, is edible and it's used in Chinese cooking and it's sometimes called gum jun. It's used in soups. That's a finishing touch. So if you grow hemerocallis in your garden, I'll tell you what, it's well worth it. Get out and buy some. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Still to come on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, I will bring you some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden this week. And let's now hear what you've called us about. And we start with Pam in Malden. My question to you is this. Is there anything I can do with the, the very large begonia corms that I've kept for two or three years and uh, managed to, to get on blossom each year? Um, they're now as big as tea plates. Beautiful. And they take up so much room in the hanging baskets. Right. But they're very pretty when they're uh, fully open because they're training ones and they're doubles. Oh, excellent. What colours are they, like Pam? Them. What colours are they? What colours are they, Pam? They're all colours of the rainbow, and I have it one in each, one colour in each pot. 
fantastic. Yeah, now, all have... the way around the garden fence, and there's 11 of them all together. Gorgeous. Now, have they started shooting yet or not? Oh, yes, they're shooting. They're, I've, I've got them in individual trays, and I've given them some water. How high are the shoots on them? Uh, they're how high they... are they, Ken? Less than a quarter of an inch. Ideal. That's ideal. Now, what you can do is you can cut your begonia corm up. Now, what that means is that you cut it, I mean, sometimes, if a dinner plate size, you could cut it into four. Yeah? Yes. Uh, but you must see that there is a shoot on each piece. Oh, yes. Um, but you can use a sharp knife. Um, you usually would, would cover the uh, the the piece of tissue with perhaps um, something like flowers of sulphur, just so that you get no rots, and then you yeah. would put it back into a pot, possibly just dry it for a little while, just let it dry in the natural, in the sunlight on the windowsill, just let that wound yeah. dry off a bit, and then you can plant them up and off they'll go. Oh, great. That's wonderful. Thank All right. you very much. There's one other thing I'd like to ask you. Yes, yeah, certainly. It's about... Is it a flowering, uh, not a flowering, a, a, a fruit cherry tree? Oh, yes. Um, it's, I think the frost has got it in places and it's died off, uh, half the branches died off. Um, and uh, when, did, then, when? when they dried off, there's a, sub, a sticky substance appears. Right. Now, the question I would ask is, when did you see it die off? Did did the leaves go brown last year and certain sections die off? Uh, it was a wonderful year last year and we had a great deal of fruit off it. Right. Now, at the end of the year, or during that summer period when it was producing its fruit and after its fruit, did those branches that have now died, did the leaf stay on and go brown but not drop necessarily? Oh, Can it. you remember? I'm looking at my husband for the answer to this one. You don't, don't know. know. <laughs> See what know. I'm worried. What I'm worried about is that they can get they can get um, a canker, which would kill the odd branch, and that's what you're sort of describing. But you know, it, it's not a definite. How old's the tree? Oh, the tree is about ten years old. Not that old. Not that old at all. All I would do is I would cut the dead branches out. You can cut them out now. Yeah. Um, but see that. When you cut them out, you clean the, whatever you've used with a spirit in case it is a canker, and then you would pass that canker on to another, another tree or something else. So it's yeah. best to be very clean with the tools that you're going to use. OK, fine. Thank you very much. That's all right. And then come back to me in the autumn and let me know whether those leaves stayed on and went brown. Yes, okay. the pieces that seem to be affected are the, are the newer leaves. Are looking good, yeah. The, the newer branches, right? Okay, let me know anyway. In, in, in yes. later on in the year, see what happens. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. That's Pam Bye. from Pam from Morden, and we go to Richard from Birchhanger. Hello, Richard. Uh, morning, Ken. What can we do for you, sir? Came camellia. Yeah. What's up with it's, it? It's misbehaving itself. Is it? What have you done? Say, uh, really? I hope you've talked to. to go it. to seed. I don't know why. You've got long. Long sort of branches coming out. It looks healthy. Yeah. But normally this time of year, the, there's buds starting to come because it's been flowering in in April and, and March, February time. So is it not producing any new growth? Is that it's what you're saying? It's not producing any buds, which it normally does. This now, time hang on, of year. hang on. Flower buds you're talking about? 
new no, flower well, buds. They, they will be flower buds, yeah. Yeah, you see, the flower buds are produced later on. They're produced from June, July onwards. July onwards, normally. Um, what I'm trying to find out is, on the tips of the camellia, OK, where it's flowered, you're saying they're going to seed, yeah? That's well, what the, the, no, the, the old branches are, are getting very, you know, long, too long, too high as well. Up about four foot. They shouldn't be up as high as that, should they? They sometimes do, but you can cut them back. It won't hurt at all. You well, cut when, a... when is it viable you, to come back? You could do it now. Straight up, you normally would do it after flowering. So it's finished flowering, you could do it now. Um, oh, lovely. Now, is it going to seed as well, did you say? Well, that appears that way to me. Right, well, what, what you do is... Obviously, the buds are not ready to come on yet. No, you're too early for the buds. Your expectations are a little early for the buds, but that's not a problem. Um, what you need to look at is the seeds. Sometimes people will let the seeds ripen off. They go sort of brown colour, and they like to grow them on. But remember that that is using the nutrients and, and the life of the plant to actually put the energy into the seed. So most people, if they want to put the energy back into the plant, not into the seed, they take the seeds off. Mm. So if I were you, just take the seeds off, unless you want to have a go. Well, I've, yeah? I've taken most of the, the old heads off. Yeah. Yeah. It's just some are going to seed, is that right? No, no I'm waiting for the buds to come on, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Give it a good feed. Give a good ericaceous feed, and I'm yeah. sure you know you'll you'll have it come to fruition. All right. Thank you very very much. That's a pleasure. Thank you, Richard, for your call. Bye bye. Bye bye. Don't forget that number to call is oh eight hundred triple one forty forty one. We've had a note from uh, Ted in Pitsy, and don't forget you can text me here in the studio, <clears throat> even while you're sitting, perhaps watching other things on the TV, you can talk gardening with me as well on a text on 81333. Start the message with the word Essex and we can uh, discuss that as well. This is Ted in Pitsy. He says, I've got a small Christmas tree that looks like it's not doing too well. But when I look at it, it's got ants all over it and they've taken the soil right up the main trunk. Um, it's in a large pot, but only a couple of feet tall. The large pot. Well, of course, it. Oh, I see. I reckon the tree's only a couple of feet tall and it's in a large pot. Ants are attracted to pots. They like it because it's warm. And let's face it, this year we had a, a very wet spring. And therefore, if you had a wet spring, um, you know, ants will be looking for somewhere nice and dry. And in fact, they found somewhere nice and dry in your pot. Um, it means it's got up, most likely, got aphid. So what you need to do is go out and get. Um, something that you can spray on aphid. There's a lot of contacts. Don't spray it in the sunlight because you can damage the damage the needles. But do it um, in the early evening, and that, no harm to anybody then. And that's what you want to do: is spray the tree with that. Now you say it's not looking very healthy as well, which is always a little bit of a worry. So I would also suggest that you um, <clears throat> you give it quite a bit of food. Uh, they're they're very very hungry. So give them a bit of food and you will find that um, you can you can give it, get it growing as well. So that's what I would do. Give it a good feed, good liquid feed, and then you can go from there. So they are. Liquid feed it, spray it as well for insects, and I think you'll find that the ants, if they're in the pot, you might have to use something like ant stop to get rid of the ants. 
They are not difficult. Christmas tree, and you'll be able to whiz it in the house at Christmas. All looking good. Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. On the 13th of May, the gardening world lost an inspirational gardener, Beth Chatto. She passed away at her home with her family by her side at the age of 94. In her gardening career spanning six decades, Beth's many awards include 10 successive gold medals at RHS Chelsea, the RHS's highest award, the Victoria Medal of Honour as well. And a couple of years ago, I joined Beth in her garden at Elmstead Market and reminisced over her lifelong passion. Now, Beth, um, you've been here how many years now? Um, when I started the garden in 1960, so you can do the math. <laughs> I won't try. But anyway, let's, let's just think about that. So you, you moved to Elmstead Market. Well, my husband's farm was here. When we first married, I lived um, in his parents' home in, in Braiswick, and we used to come here every day to the farm. But I always wanted to make a garden here, and so eventually, with the help of Brian Thomas, the young architect at that time, we, we, we built this split-level house, which he was delighted to find that we had a slope, so he could do one of these modern, you know, split-level houses, which I haven't regretted, except perhaps a little bit now that I'm getting very shaky, so going up and down. Downstairs. <laughs> Not a good when I see programs with you know houses with masses of staircases I think ah oh, you wait till you're 90. <laughs> <laughs> now Beth it's interesting that you know you got you wanted to build a garden you, you had a house built and then you wanted to build a garden were you interested in gardening even before that I mean wh where we, where did the interest oh, come from do you think? From childhood my parents were keen gardeners but I was always at school um, I had a school garden I was at the girls county high school and we had little gardens of our own, if we, if we wished. And, of course, I had one there. Um, and um, I just love plants. I um, was fascinated by them. And also, not only um, gardening, but wild plants as well. I think that's how a lot of us get into gardening, actually. It's just, you know, it's there inside us. And, and we, f we find that we end up doing gardening because we love it. Well, yes, but I'm, I must confess that I'm concerned for children for the future because so few of them have gardens or if they do they're hardly you know too small too small and um, they get smaller they do indeed so take us back to the th that time when you first came here you, you you built the house and then I imagine that you thought I'll build a garden around it so well, no, so it didn't start that way oh. really no it started because um, when I was at college um, I went to teacher training college. My subject there had been ecology because I'd found a book in the library which interested me. Now in those days the word hadn't hardly been invented. Nobody talked about ecology, certainly not in gardens, hardly anywhere. Now it's on everyone's lips but um, it, then I met my husband Andrew during the war and it was his his subject. He, he just, when he was a boy he went to California and saw, first thing he saw was Ceanothus. So he dashed indoors to say, how did that get here from, 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 from you know, Radlett, his home in Hertfordshire? And he was told it's wild here. Wild, you know? 
like elderberries and blackberries, yes, wild. Um, and that sowed seeds in his mind. Well, where do roses come from and chrysanthemums? I mean, are they wild? I mean, when you started gardening, did you ever think that they were wild somewhere? No, well, no, not at the beginning. Not no. at the beginning. Never no. do, do you? You don't, you know. I mean, in the same way that you accept parsnips or carrots or whatever, and you're quite astounded to be told, well, you know, they started off as weeds or wild plants. So that's where your interest started? Yes. And then what made you develop a garden here, though? Well, because it, um, at the time we were living in Braiswick, as I say, which was my parents-in-law's home, and we used to come here every day, and I was fascinated by the land here because um, I, I think that this piece of land was laid down probably 200,000 years ago, something like that, when it was... Um, when Colchester was under, the, 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 the glaciers came up to um, Colchester, the west side of Colchester. They didn't come this side of Colchester. And so as they melted, as the um, ice melted over thousands of years, it flooded over this East Coast strip. Hence, um, we've got acid soil, we've got, yes. we've got um, gravels and sands laid down by the melting snow and glaciers. Um, David here, my nursery manager, gave me a book on this area and it's fascinating to, um, you know, to read about Braintree and places like that, how, they, how the soil was laid down by thousands of years of melting... Melting ice, uh, Melting really, ice, yes. Yeah. Poor. So you knew that there was gravels and it was... I mean, it's very free-draining, it's very dry. And, That's of course, right. this part of the world is one of the driest areas in the country. The lowest rainfall, yeah. yes. I mean, our average rainfall is 20 inches, 10 in the winter, 10 in the summer. So um, we've got all kinds of growing conditions in a comparatively s small acreage, you know, 20 or 30 acres. So which part of the garden did you set about doing oh, first? Well, round the house, of course, as of one course. does. Of course, make it attractive. Yes, well, we've got to get in and out of the... Get, get in and out of the... I mean, it really was a wilderness. Um, but we had, we had a, a plan in our minds. Obviously, uh, the house is on a slope, a split level. Um, and so the, the, the plants we put around it were... Um, and, of course, gravel, soil, dry a Mediterranean star garden, and that was what I was used to, a Mediterranean star gardening. Below that, the house looked over onto a ditch and a, and a um, uh, boggy meadow, really. It was water meadow, cows wandering up and down. <laughs> Difficult to believe now, but yes, cows wandering up and down. So what did you do with that area then? Well, that, of course, um, um, fortunately, we were up on this side I mean, we were looking down, down onto it. Onto it. Um, we didn't do anything to start with. We, 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 we had to make paths around it on the different levels. It's unbelievable now to think of what I was able to do in those days when now I can hardly sit here and talk to you. That's what youth is about, though, isn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely, and enthusiasm. And yes. Yes, no, no. A little boy once said to me how much he loved the garden here and he'd love to have one like it but um, when he grew up but it must be a lot of work well I was doing something I don't know what I had a tool in my hand and I but I looked at him and I said um, do you like cricket and he said of course I love it I said but well, I should hate it 
But I said, I love doing this. It's very true. I said, if you love what you do, and if you're lucky enough to spend your life doing what you love, whatever your job is, then you're lucky. Beth Chatto speaking with me a couple of years ago. Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Let's uh, go and talk to Colin in Harwich. Sunny Harwich, is that right, Colin? Oh, it certainly is sunny, Ken. It's really lovely here. I'm out in the garden. Everything's full of expectation, but I have a little bit of a predicament with my elephant garlic. Oh, right. And, uh, yep. It, 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 well, it is. It's starting to run for seed. It's starting to get a flower head on it. And I do I cut it off or... Yeah, right. let it plant. When, out of interest, when did you plant them? Did you plant them in November? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You, so you planted them at the correct time. This winter has played has played havoc with a lot of vegetables, including things like garlic. And I think mm. one of the major problems is this sort of hot, cold, hot, cold, and also it's got a lot of damp under its feet. You've got quite light soil there, actually, haven't you? Oh yes, it's yeah. lovely sandy loam. It's good, soil, good sandy yes. loam, isn't it? Yeah, I, I yes. mean personally, I I would I I think that really it's the hot cold hot cold, and the the answer is yes, you must take out the flower um, because right. the flat it will go to, it'll try growing, and you don't want it to do that. So you want to get rid of the right. flower completely. Yeah. Yes, and that applies that applies to onions as well because I've yeah. got autumn onions here. Yeah, same which are thing. Really nice, but I mean, yeah, I mean normally you wouldn't be harvesting your 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 winter onions till what another month or so, would you? So. Oh, I expect so. Yes, mm. yes, yeah. But I yeah. mean, have it. Yeah, get get rid of flour. Flour is no good on those at all. Right. Do you think they'll they'll still come to a bulb? Will they? Yeah, they yeah, should come to it. yeah, they should come to a bowl, but without yeah, take the flower out. It's not a good sign, I have to be honest. But um, keep an eye on them, no. but definitely get rid of the flower. Yeah, right. Okie dokie. I might even I, try to eat it. I can't see why it shouldn't be edible. Uh, let me think. No, there's no reason why it shouldn't be edible at all. No, no yeah. reason at all. Yeah. I'll yeah. give it a try. Give it a try and let us know. I mean, you know, it's like chive leaves and all that. I mean, you can eat all those. You can eat chive flour and everything, can't you? And I've noticed, actually, I was in the garden the other day and I noticed that the chives are in flour already and they're normally chive flowers a bit later on. So in theory, Uh, you know, it's it's this muddled spring that we've had. (laughs) And it's it's making up for it today, though, isn't it? It certainly is, yes, it's lovely. And and to see the vegetable garden at the moment with the peas in flower, the beans in flower, the beetroot coming on first early, up now you said more. That's oh, interesting. Oh. Interesting, you just said about your beans. Which beans are you growing? Broad beans. Oh, your broad beans. I was going to say, you haven't got yeah, your runners flowering yet, have you? Do you, when oh, do you? No, 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 no. When do you put your runners out, out of interest? Well, I, I've actually, because I've been out in Russia, you know, I go out, I've only just sown some runner bean mm. seeds. So they won't be going out just yet. No. And how about the broad beans? When did you get them in? Because you were away, weren't you, around Christmas time and in the new year. But yes. did you get them yes, in in I the did, autumn? I did put them in in the autumn and I covered them with a uh, a cloche of fleece. Oh, that's and a good idea. they all seem to have survived. Yeah. That's, that's good. Good. Because they, mm. they usually miss the black fly then, don't they, with a bit of luck? Well, hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much for your call, Colin, and uh, keep in touch with. Keep letting us know what your vegetable garden's like. Okay.
Oh, I certainly will. Yeah, okay. bye for now then. Bye there, that's Colin in Harwich, a regular listener to The Gardening Hour here on BBC Essex. I'm Ken Crowther, and we are now going to talk to John in Brentwood. But just a reminder, that number is 0800 111 40 41. Hello, John. Morning, Ken. What a morning. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely is, yeah. yeah. I've got a very large quince bush that's been left I've left it to go uh, very wild. How hard can I prune it? Now, you say a quince bush. Uh, is it a tree or a bush? Because normally quince will come as a, a as a bit more of a, a tree. Well, this is more of a tree, yeah. Oh, it is. It is. It's about 12, 14 <clears throat> foot high. And has it got a single trunk or has it got several? No, multiple. Multiple? Yeah. I would suggest that what you do is has it got has it had flower? Yeah, they're finished. Just finished about a week ago. Oh, now hang and on, then, hang then on. The apples will start. Hang, uh, right, hang on, hang on. I'm wondering what you have got is not a true quince. What colour were the flowers? Uh, a ready crimsony. Right, colour. you've got a shenomenes, right? Oh. It's a Shenomenes, and it is commonly called quince, um, but it is not a quince at all, which is why you said it's a big bush. Um, Right. The apples that are produced can be used for jellies. They're not as a proper quince, but you can use them for jellies. And what you have got is Shenomenes. They are a great uh, late winter flowering shrub, and you can be very ruthless with them. So you could be hard on it, and I would actually attack it now because then you get some new growth and therefore you would get, you know, new growth out of it, which would then produce your buds for next next year. How does that sound, John? Right. Does that mean, say, I could take the whole lot back to, say, uh, three foot high, as bad as that, as serious as that? Yep, you could. And it will sprout again. Yeah. Right. How do you spell that, by the way? Shenomenes is C-H-A-E-N-O... I'm get, it's not quite right, but C-H-A-E-N-O-M-E-L-E-S. Shenomenes. Oh, right, E-L-S. Right. I've never heard of that before. I've all sorts of quince for the last... No, people do call them quince. People call them quince. Yep, but quince in theory is a tree like an apple tree. Yeah. That's why I was asking. Okay. Best of luck. Best of luck, John. Enjoy yourself in the sun. Yep. (laughs) He will, I know. Uh, We go to Christine in Benfeet. She has given us a call on 0800 111 Christine, what can we do for you? Oh, hello, Ken. Um... I've grown um, some gazania, sunshine mix from seed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've also grown some bedding dahlias from seed. So they're coming along well. Um, However, I'm wondering whether we should pinch out some of the leaves to make them more bushy. Now, which um, one? Which one are we talking about here? The, sh- the gazanias. Should we start with the gazanias? Start with the gazania. Yes. Right. Sorry. How high are your gazanias? Let's look um, at how big they well, are. Well, the longest outside leaves are about nine inches from the from the pot. We're in a in a, a three and a half inch pot, tall pot, and I've right. it from there. And what's coming out the centre? Nothing. Yeah, there's uh, there's some small smaller leaves, but there's there's big leaves from the side. No, 
You leave leave well alone. Leave, leave well, well alone. alone. No, what you could have done is nip the tip out as it was emerging from the seed, but that hasn't happened. You've now got big leaves, so leave well alone. They right. will produce a clump and they will flower from the centre. And that's why I'm saying, asking oh, you about yeah. the centre to see if anything was coming out of it yet. Yes, yeah, yeah. There is some, yeah, there are some more leaves coming out. Yeah, I wondered if I should cut back these long, longer outside. Oh no, 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 no. Leave me go. Plants need leaves to produce the um, the nutrients to make it all work. Right, right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And then the similar with the bedding dahlia. Um, I think my mum would have called them cork nest dahlias, but these are bedding. No, that that's quite right. And um, there, that's what I know as a cork nest dahlia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, bedding dahlias are to me Coltness dahlias. Yeah. Good old. <laughs> um, yeah. um, now, what do they do? They've got big outside leaves. Yes, but and, they've got a spike, uh, haven't they? Yes. Now, what you can do with that? Yes, you can. When it gets up to about seven, eight inches, if you've got several leaves, how high are they? Uh, they're about nine inches. Right. Mm. And how many? So, up going up the stem, how many sets of leaves? Uh, one set, two sets. Two so sets. You're on to three sets now. Right. Yeah, three sets, above, I'd say. above the three sets, nip it out and you'll get a branch. Right. It'll slow down your flowering, but you'll get more flower. Right. That's what I wonder. So, so nip out the centre. Yep. Just of, take the top off three. with your nails. Right. Yeah. Yep. I know. Yep. Pinch it out. Right. Pinch it out. And that's that will... lovely. All right. Yeah. That's okay. Lovely. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank that's you. That's a pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's. Christine from Benfleet, and we've got Graham from Great Bromley. And hello, Graham. What have we got for you? Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Hello, um, I have a problem with strawberry plants in my polytunnel. Um, right. The ants and wood lice are eating them from underneath. And when I look in the gardening books, I can't see anything to deal with wood lice. Have you got any suggestions, <clears throat> please? No. You see, the, see, what I would say, and in fact it's what... In theory, it's true that wood lice uh, live off um, old material, right? They right. don't. They don't. In theory, they would not chew a fruit. Mm, I'm finding wood lice in the strawberries. <laughs> in theory, in theory, they don't. Right? That's the theory. But in fact, I'm just being told by by Tim, my uh, <laughs> weekend editor guy here, and he's saying his strawberries get eaten by them. But in theory, they don't. Um, they they must pick on a soft spot and then eat into it. Um, there is no uh, chemical that you could use, obviously, around them. The only thing that you could try is lifting them up from the ground. Are they on the ground, the strawberries, or in pots? Um, they're actually on old carpet, which I use to suppress the weeds. So the ah. strawberry plants are planted through the carpet. Yeah, so they like the carpet as well. They like being near the carpet as well, don't they? That's one of the problems as well. So... Um, no simple solution. And the ants are secondary. You know, they're just in, in for the fun, I think. The ants are. Right. There uh, is, in theory... I'm just trying that. to think what you could use around fruit. There's a, there's a fruit and... There's a fruit and veg spray by, I think, Bayer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still available. About the only one that's available now... So you could try, but you've got to watch, get onto them fairly quickly because I imagine they're ripening and there will be a gap between, between that time. So yeah, that might, right. might make a difference. Yeah? 
Yes, I'll look it up and uh, see what I can do. Yeah, I think you'll find that there's about one on the market that you can use. All right? All right. And, Thanks and, for uh, your time. And if you, if you sort it, you can send in a box of strawberries and I'll be very pleased to sample them for you. <laughs> if they leave any, perhaps they'll... <laughs> yes, right. Graham, thank you very much for your call today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I should say that if the gentleman's listening that we were talking Shenominees, I have had the correct spelling passed to me. It's C-H-A-E-N-O-M-E-L-E-S. I got the end a little bit wrong, I think. So there's Shenominees for you. Uh, a great shrub. Flowers from February onwards. Super, super shrub and produces these lovely apples, which people call quince apples, even though they're not. Let's talk to John, who's on the M25. Are you Hello. stationary, John, or are you moving? Hands-free moving. Oh, well, I'm glad the M25's moving, then. <laughs> what can we do for you? <laughs> My parents have got a vegetable uh, truck uh, about yeah. waist high off the ground, and they're growing some beetroot, and all the leaves have been eaten. Um, we don't know whether it's sparrows or slugs and what to do about it. I would expect it to be slugs or snails, actually. That's what I would expect. Yeah. Are there any trails at all? That I couldn't tell you. Right. What I would suggest is, and I, as long as they're not anti... I mean, I'm not anti-using slug pellets. They're very safe today with animals and things. I would just put a few... Because, remember, you do space them out. They're a bait. They're not a, a killer, you know what I mean? They do kill, but they're a bait. So if you put slug pellets around the, around the actual trug, that would work right. quite well. Just put them round the edge of the trug, and I think that will sort out the problem. That's lovely. If not, John, give us another call for the M25 with the X on it, and we'll have a listen out and see whether we can sort it. OK? That's lovely. All right, many All right. thanks. That's a pleasure. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Back to the gardening questions in a moment, but right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, I've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. And I reckon the first one's got to be hardening off those plants. Things like dahlias. Yeah, often people think dahlias will come through the winter. Not many did this winter with all that wet. They rotted a lot of them. But anyway, if you're growing them on, keep them protected. We've still got a really good chance of frost. So pop them out at night if they're in pots. Bring them in to the, to the sort of shelter of a, a wall or in the garage or a shed if you've got a threat of a low temperature. And then take them out and we should be planting them out well end of the month so that's not bad watch out also for cannas and callas that's the one that you've got to watch out for as well talking to flowers forget me nots they're looking gorgeous at the moment but my word do they take over if you don't want them taking over just as those flowers fade remove them because if not they'll seed everywhere and you'll have a sea of forget me not looks nice but maybe not. I'll have more top tips for the next seven days later on in the podcast. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Let's now go back to the phones and talk to Linda in St Lawrence. Hello, Linda. Hello, Ken. Um, I've got trouble with my wisteria. I, ha I have two questions. The first one's with the wisteria. 
it's many years old and it's a bit popped up really every year as, as to how many blooms I get on it. Now, last year, I obviously did something right because it was massive for blooms. But then I must have trimmed it at the wrong time or whatever because this year it's all green and about six blooms. Right. OK. When do you prune it? Do you prune it twice as you're supposed to? That's the first question. Oh, sorry, how old is it? Is it old or young? Oh, yes. No, it's got to be... It might be 40, 50 years old. That's all right. Not a problem with them. Not a problem at all with them. So um, when are you pruning them? Mm, Well, that's a bit potluck as well. Um, Probably in summer, I would have thought. Okay. Well, right, the first thing you need to do is, I reckon is keep feeding it this year. Give it a good fit. Is it is it in a concrete area? Is it in yes, a paved? it is. Concrete all around it. Right. Uh, do you water it at all? Or does it no. get water? It's close into the house, isn't it? Yes, ne- never watered it. Right. Well, here, here's an idea for you. Um, try liquid feeding it once every three weeks through the summer. Mm-hmm. Put a good couple of gallons of water on the on the hole with liquid feed in something like a maxi crop or something like that. In other words, you're giving it a, a bit of a tonic, yeah? Yes. Then you need to, as it finishes flowering, you'll get those long twiggly bits coming off the plant, yeah? Yes, yes. Then all you do need to do is go round and cut those back to about three buds. Yes. Little spurs. Do that for now. And then call, talk to us again in the autumn and we'll give you more advice on it in the autumn. But that's all you have to do through the summer is cut those twiggly bits back to three. Okay. However, if you've got some new growth that you want to extend it by, train them and don't trim them back. OK. Does yes, that make okay. sense? Yes, and I think, I, think you're sorted, I think you're sorted out. I don't think it'll have a problem. Okay, yep. I'll come back to you with that one. Now, the second one, please, is that I have a, a lovely terracotta pot, which is almost three foot high, and it's 12 inches across at the top. Right. I wish to grow um, a, a climber up there, so it, it, it's got to grow to about 20 foot. Um, I have a trellis behind this pot, and it goes up into a T-junction, so the climber's got to go up, five foot and then go right five foot and go left five foot right how big was that pot again um nearly three foot high by 12 inches across and i'm very good at looking after my pots i was going to say because your biggest problem is that it's not very wide the pot yes the pot's three foot high is it a chimney no i made it i'm a potter oh you're a potter yes so oh how attractive and it, and it is it's in memory of my mum and, and i've had two clematis in there but they both get um clematis wilt and i'm not doing that anymore i've got clematis elsewhere in the garden none of those get clematis wilt so i i so i'm given up with the clematis i'm looking at another climber you're going to be a popular lady in the future then because if they're trying to stop plastic pots, you'll be in your element. You'll be able to keep making pots for people, won't you, out of clay? What do you I reckon? I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> do you, you have to fire them up, fire them, though, don't you, to make them nice and hard? Yes, you do. Um, that's why we have a problem um, in this country from imports because they don't, they don't, don't fire them um, high enough to stop the frost getting to them. That's right. I'll tell you a very quick story. I, 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 I had a... 
a guy from Crete um, <clears throat> worked with me years ago and uh, he said, oh, I got a mate who, who makes pots in, in Crete and uh, he's keen for us to sell them. So I actually bought a container load. The two of us shared this container load and we brought them over and he, I said, you sure they're fine? Oh, yes, they're frost-hardy. Yes, they're frost-hardy. Anyway, I tried selling them and we had a whole winter, two winters later, and I think, a lot of them cracked because they weren't fired. They used to just dry them in the sun. Isn't that right, yes, Linda? That's, that's right, yeah. I mean, they must be fired to a certain extent. They, they wouldn't just dry them in the sun. They, they would fire them, but low fire. Yeah, Because yeah. It, it costs more money to... It does, um, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah Makes them more expensive. We all be in your element. Right, what can we use? We could use um, uh, one of the solanums. Have you tried solanum? No, I'm, I'm, I'm having that elsewhere in the garden. You've got those elsewhere. Well, see, I'm was, about to because... See, I was going to say clematis because that would be your best bet. Honeysuckles I wouldn't grow. Solanum. What else can you grow that would be fast growing? You want it fast. You want it high. Yeah, so once uh, it high, it's the height because it's going, it's going up the workshop, actually. It's going up my, my pottery workshop. You wouldn't, so. you wouldn't think of growing a rose at all? Yes. Well, why, look out for... I can't think of any varieties. Is it in the sun? Got a yes, bit of, most of the day. Well, you could use any cl good climbing rose or even a rambler. Use a rambling rose as long as you work on it all the time to keep it in control because that okay. will go even quicker. Right, so the rambler will, will go quicker. So you yeah. save that more than a climber. Except you only get one flower, one flower period on a, on a, on a, a rambler, um, whereas a climber oh. you'll get a couple of, sh couple of it. Yeah. Oh, I might go for a climber then. Go for a climber. Find a good, colourful climber, and I think that's what I would go for. OK. Thank you very much for your help. That's Love a pleasure, Linda, and I look forward... You want to, when, you, when you've planted it, send us a picture of your pot and we'll have a look at it. It's I nice. will. You'll, you'll recognise it because it has Mum's pot on it. That's very nice. I think lots of things in the garden can be memories of different people that we've met and come across in our life, don't you think? Yes, most definitely. Right. Thank, thank you, Ken. Thank, thank you very much. Lovely program. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Linda. Bye-bye. You can give us a call on 0800 4041. That's 0800 4041. And we nip over to West Mersey to talk to Bob. Hello, Bob. Uh, morning, Ken. All right? Oh, fine. And you? What you got in, the, in your garden? What have I got in my... There's loads of stuff in my garden, mate, but it's the, it's the grass <laughs> that's worrying me. What's happening to it? <laughs> Well, I've got dead patches everywhere. I, well, say everywhere, you know, all over both the front and the rear grass. It's it, you know how how it sort of dies when it overheats in the summer. Yeah. You know, you'll get a real burn. Well, it's gone like that, um, but not because the sun is out now. It's it's been like that since last year, and it's still the same now. And I've, I've sort of scarified. I've um, I've reseeded these patches. Uh, I've put right. some compost on and. Uh, it's just not growing. Right. I, what you're describing, if they're brown patches, is actually um, most likely um, leather jacket or crane flies. Right. That's what it but sounds like. How do we deal with that then, Ken? Well, they're quite difficult because there's, there's a <laughs> nematode you can get for them. And the other favourite way is that you soak the lawn, you put either sacking or black polythene on overnight... Mm. and they will rise up out of the ground. And then right. usually the birds will clear them, or you can brush them off. Now, that is an, that's an old-fashioned way of getting rid of them. 
Ah, right, okay. I've and if got, not, I've got, I need a lot of black sheet. <laughs> yeah, it's what well, you could do a bit at a time, but it's what you're describing, that's what it sounds like. If they're patches yeah. that are brown, the basically the grass is dead. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. eat the roots, you see. That's the problem. Ah, right. So it's leather jacket and what, did you say? It's leather jacket. No, it's leather jackets, which is the crane oh, fly. You know the crane flies? Oh, the crane fly, yeah, yeah. The crane yeah. fly lays its eggs in the lawn and that produces the leather jacket. Oh, right. Okay. And the leather jackets chew away at the roots. And it spreads, obviously. Yep. Well, yeah. they'll be laying and they'll move, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All okay. Right, have right a, that's fine. Have a go, I'll have a go at you, that. If you don't get anywhere, come back to us here on BBC Essex and uh, we'll see what we can sort out for you. All I right? will, Ken. Thanks for your help, mate. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Back to your calls, text, email shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips for this week. I think the first one's got to be, I've again been doing some pruning of clematis this week and Armandii was the one I attacked. Got a lot of extra growth. And the Syrahosa, the winter flowering ones as well, often produce lots and lots of growth. So what I would do is just cut out all that crowded growth and that will give you a chance of lots of new growth being produced through the summer period. There you are. That's one. Going on to vegetables. Support the peas as they're growing. I use just twigs and it works really well, but you can use any sort of sticks or perhaps some people use actually just rabbit wire and just put a bit of rabbit wire and just let them trail over. If you arch it slightly, they just grow up and over that arch and it works really well. Get the bean sticks in, that's the runner bean sticks. And if you haven't started off your runner beans, pop a few in pots, that's the way I do it. Put a couple in a pot, two or three in a pot, and then all you have to do is pop those round the cane. Two to a cane, and don't forget, no giant and the beet stalks this year, but I want to see and hear all about your beans. So don't forget, runner beans, they are frost tender, so get them in pots, put them somewhere protected, get them growing, and get them out at the end of this month. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Can you tell me when to cut back wallflowers? They've now finished flowering. They're looking straggly. That's Brenda. Well, wallflowers are generally treated as an annual, so some people would cut them out, pull them out and plant something else. But if you want them to grow on to another year, you just cut back down to the bottom of where the flower has finished and you'll find new growth will come from the base. You could be talking about the perennial purple type wallflower or you could be about the traditional one. doesn't matter. One will last longer than the other, but basically that's what you do. Cut down to the end of the flower stalk and go from there. Also, we had a note from uh, Babs over in Hearn Bay. Uh, could I repeat what I was talking about, the ant product? I use something called Ant Stop. It works really well indeed. So that's Ant Stop. You can still give me a call on 0800 4041 if you would like to have a chat about your garden. But... In the meantime, I'd like to just go to my emails, and I hope you're listening, Brian Wilson, because Brian Wilson has sent me a picture, beautiful picture of, of course, a pink, pinky white flower, trumpet flower on a shrub. And yes, his friends are asking him what it is. Well, it's, it's Wigelia, and I believe the one you've got is Wigelia, Florida. So, Marin Wilson, that is 
Oh, it's come from, I don't know, it's from Brian, but Marion's asked. So, Marion, you're obviously the gardener in the, in the house. So they are. That is what it is. It is Wigelia, and I believe it is Wigelia, Florida. What you need to do, though, is actually cut back some of those uh, stems that have flowered this year. So you get new growth for next year, and that will then produce the flowers for next year. So Wigelia does need flowering, cutting back after flowering. That's really quite important. So they are. That's uh, that's sorted out. We also had an email, a mystery plant identification. Um, this is from, who's this from? This is from Chris Green. I wonder whether you can help me identify the plant material um, inherited when we moved in. Um, the, it's a paley orange flower. It looks like hemerocallis. It looks like hemerocallis. Um, looks like a small gladioli. Looks like hemerocallis. I think it could be but I will have another look at that one for you and possibly come back to you next week. But I'm pretty sure it could be Hemerocallis, Chris Green. Uh, Going to go back to the phones now. And in fact, we are talking to Anna from Leon C. Hello, Anna. Hello. I wanted to offer you some advice with regards to the cracking of, of garden pots. And what I actually do is use a watered-down PVA glue and paint them inside and out if possible, and line them with a plastic bag. Right, that's just to stop the frost getting into them? Yes. And if I see. you wish so, to paint them, I'm sorry. So what you're basically saying is that you're, you're really, you're treating both sides of the clay, yeah? Yes. And that way no water can get into it, and, and therefore it won't crack. I think the other important thing, Anna, and I, I hope you'll agree with me, is that too many people stand the pot on the ground, don't they? And they don't... I have, I have feet. <laughs> you, need, you do need feet. I mean, you can use pieces of wood, can't you? But it's important that they're just held up off the ground so that they can, you can get moisture running out of them, isn't it? Yeah? Yes. Yeah. So that's a very good idea. So PVA, glue... And then you yes. put black polythene on the inside as well, yeah? Yes. Anna, and I've thank... never had a, a problem. Well, Anna, they are. You've got a trick for us. And, of course, that's what BBC Essex and the Gardening Hour is all about, is passing on information, isn't it? It certainly is. Thank you very much for joining us today, Anna. Thank you. They are. There's Anna with a tip, and that is what they're all about. We go back to an email here from Mick and Linda. Um... As they have planted some seven centimetre, 70 centimetre. I have to think what that is. That's a good couple of feet. Um, no, it's more than that. But anyway, they're red robins and they've sent me some pictures of them. Uh, they're red robins. The leaves have gone like this. Uh, do we have a problem? Now, what they've done is they've gone sort of a little spotty and brown. Now, I think what people forget is that actually evergreens like red robin, laurel's another good example. I get asked a lot about um, red laurels as well going yellow because they're an evergreen and they keep their green leaves on they actually will have to drop leaf at a certain time of the year and this is the normal time that they start to drop their leaves purely because it's it's spring they're growing new growth the new growth is coming and therefore they start to shed the old leaves some of these will go brown and spotty um, if it persists and you get a very heavy spot, they will then, you'll know that they'll be having a thing called um, fertinia spot. And fertinia spot 
would need possibly um, a spray. But that's all you have to worry about. So they are. That's Mick and Linda. And we can always try and help you as best as we can. Um, I'm pointing out the 70 centimetres is 27 inches. See? Two foot three. I did say a couple of feet, didn't I? So I'm not that far out. Just shows you I'm a bit of an old-fashioned man. Now, the next one is from a from a lady called Anne from Southwood and Ferrers. And she visited an elderly gentleman, 96, who lives in Brentwood. And he has in his garden an amazing bush. And the amazing bush is a tree peony. And I've, she's, she's calling it just a peony, but I'm sure it's a, a tree peony because it's got... <coughs> it's got actually the leaf of a tree peony. It's a rich dark red, and she's saying, can I identify it? And I'm being honest here, no, I can't. Um, there are many tree peonies. She has tried to identify it uh, as best she can. If she was a member of the Royal Horticultural Society, she could actually send it in to the Royal Horticultural Society and they will actually identify it themselves. So you could do that, or you can pay the RHS to actually identify it. So that's another way of getting, getting round it. So that's a tree peony. Send the picture to the Royal Horticulture Society up in London and they will identify it for you. Um, yes, you're right. You take the cuttings in the autumn and you're saying it's five foot tall. A tree peony is absolutely gorgeous and they're one of my favourites. There's also a gorgeous yellow one you can get, which is fantastic as well. So there are plenty of things you can get hold of. Um, we also have uh, another email, and the email here is from Anne in Southwood and Ferrers. Anne says that she's got a precious 30-year-old rhododendron again. She sent us several pictures. Absolutely gorgeous. Purple just coming into flower with the leaf bracts underneath, the leaf all around it. And she's a bit worried because the bark is peeling at the base. I wouldn't unduly worry about the base of the rhododendron, the peeling back. I don't think there's a lot you can do with it. It looks like it's been chewed. But unless you're in a, a garden where you're going to get rabbit damage, because rabbits actually chew the bark of all sorts of things, including rhododendron, I know. And the other thing, of course, is, is deer, particularly monk jack. Uh, we look after a garden, funny enough, that monk jack come in and they have stripped the apple, tr the apple trees up to about two and a half feet taken all the bark off this winter and they've eaten all the pansies as well and that's purely because this winter was a rough old winter for for for, for rabbits they didn't get enough food and they've been doing a lot of damage as well so they are there's another one for you that's uh, i wouldn't worry about it i'd just give it a damn good feed the gardening hour podcast on bbc essex with ken crowther Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0800 111 4041 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther.